morning we are just in a little bit of a different context. I'm actually going to kind of slip more into a teaching mode than preaching this morning just to share some uh, solid truths that we want to stand on um, as a church this morning, in particular sola scriptoria, uh, the, the doctrine that we believe in, in scriptures alone. So um, will you pray with me and then we'll venture into uh, study on the scriptures again and complete this series. Father, we thank you for a chance to gather and sing of your praises. Lord, where would we be without the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ? And it gives us great joy and uh, great solidarity to understand that we stand with our Lord. And we're, we're grateful for that. And we, um, we I just Lord, I thought as we, if we didn't have music and the ability to express in worship, in song, Lord, it would, it would fall short, it seems, Lord, but you knew that, and from the earliest gatherings of your people, Lord, as you called, called even the nation of Israel together, you, you brought them to song. You knew that singing your praises, singing your scripture, singing your scriptural truths, Lord, were good for us. So we thank you that we can sing, Lord. May we not be afraid of what we sound like, but we may be more geared on the, the glory that is exalted through our voices, Lord, making that joyful noise. Father, what a joy to sing together. Now, Lord, as we look into your word and, and talk about the word, Lord, that you would come and be with us and empower the truths, Lord, and burn them and press them upon our hearts, Lord, that we would forever be changed even more, Lord, after this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We are been in a little series on the scriptures and we're doing that in several ways. Next week we'll start a series on who is Jesus and, and a very important aspect of the doctrine of the church. One, we believe in the scriptures that they are God's word, they are sufficient, inerrant, and, and infallible. And then another doctrine that we are gonna hit just over the summer is the doctrine of Christ, what we call Christology. And these are central to our faith, central to what we believe in. In fact, so central that we feel it's time from time to time to rewrite and look at our doctrinal statements to strengthen them, particularly in a day and age when these things are becoming more and more rare. Uh, so that is what has uh, brought on this series on the scriptures. I've enjoyed teaching it. It's just enjoy. I've, I've studied the bibliology most of my ministerial career and studies, and it never gets old to be reminded that the word of God holds all that we need. And that we need to be students of it and study it. And so I pray that you are encouraged. I'm hoping that more of you are reading your Bibles, more of you are being attentive to the word of God in a greater way. Now, with that said, um, I thought about this week several things about how to be better students of the scriptures, particularly on a Sunday morning. I know it's a habit. Sometimes you can come, well, there's this guy and he's going to preach and, and we're going to sit there and we're going to listen to this guy and hope he doesn't go too long. Um, but I... I I truly want you to get more out of the preaching of the word of God. And so uh, compile the list, not my thoughts, but many thoughts of, of men through the years of preaching that just to give you just some practical things as you come to hear the word of God on Sunday morning and uh, how to get more out of it um, for the glory of the Lord and for your walk in pursuit for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I've got 10 different things here. I think they're gonna come up behind me here and we'll, we'll put these on. Number one, how are we doing? Are we there? Good. Be careful and persistent to attend every service. Give the meeting of the, meeting of the church a priority over all human instruction. Now, this is a very important thing, to be under the word of God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There's a very important command given to the early church, and it's given to us today as well. When you choose to be in worship services on a regular basis, you are saying, God, I am putting myself under your word, under the proclamation of it. It is extremely important to do this. Now, does this mean you can't go on vacation? I'm telling you, if you haven't taken your family on a vacation, I'm going to get after you. Because you do need to get away from the grind of daily life serving Jesus in this world and get away with your family. So dads, 
I better hear you're taking your family away a little bit. So we're not talking about that. We're not talking about, well, I can't go on vacation because I gotta go to church. We're talking about the priority of the preaching of the gospel. The priority of saying, Lord, I wanna be under your word both daily in my reading of the scriptures and corporately as the body of Christ. This is extremely important for us to be under this. This is why God has designed, he has always put his people under the word of God. And so we work hard to do that. And I know those things are difficult, raising lots of kids and trying to get them out of the house. Actually, I don't because I've always been preaching and left early and Gina's had to do that. I hear it's difficult. (laughs) Praise God for a wife who's worked very hard through the years to gather four boys and get them going in one direction. But it's important. It's important to be under the word of God. And we as dads and moms need to make this a priority in our families. And and I just want to encourage you, don't let things rob you of this. We we have the battle. She said, well, Scott, you don't understand. No, I do. We have four boys that have played in all kinds of sports. And every sport we've ever played, they play on Sundays. And we said, you know, coach, I'm really glad you want my son to play on this team, but you know, we, we, we go to church on Sunday mornings. We're welcome to come catch up with you afterwards if you still want them. But if you don't want them because we can't make Sunday morning, we understand and, and we're fine with that. They always say, no, no, we want your boys. We'll play them on Saturday. We understand. Make a commitment to the church to being underneath the word of God, not letting things constantly rob you. I promise you, if you just let the things that are out there say, oh, there's a party, or there's this, there's that, or whatever. They just, it, pretty soon you're not in church. And your children are not being trained where we come along and help you do those things. Now, believe me, I am I, trying to give you wisdom here of uh, not, this isn't commands, but, but just from the wisdom of a pastor for many years of saying, oh, the joys of having my children under the word of God, my family. So make it a priority in your life. Don't let human institutions rob you of that priority, moms and dads. Number two, listen carefully to sermons. Take notes of important points and mark your Bible and highlight central truths. It's very difficult as us adults, I'm gonna turn to adults here. Um, You and I have a million things going on tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., don't we? Most of us, Monday's my day off. But it doesn't take long before I sit down and I sing some songs before my mind wants to go somewhere and start to already prepare what I'm doing. Maybe it's just dinner afterwards or I've got to meet some family or whatever it is. It's, it's, you know our minds, they just want to slip away very quickly. So listen carefully to sermon. Put your, put your listening ears on and say, Lord, I want to hear what the Bible has to say today. I want to be attentive. And some of the ways you can do that, we provide notes on the back of the bulletin, jotting down main points, some verses that you want to go back and re-see again, or even highlighting or marking your Bible with central truths that are in the scriptures so that when you come to that text again, you go, oh yeah, I remember that. Those are just helpful insights. Three, prepare your heart and pray for yourself and others before you come to worship. Now again, I know for some people, it's a little scattered trying to get children fed and get out of the home, but somewhere along the line, pray. If you pray before you come into this building, or even if you come in and sit down and pray, I promise you the word of God would be even more rich to you. The music will be rich. If you prepare your heart for what God has, I promise you truths of the word of God will come shining through and pierce your heart and encourage you in a great way and pray for others. Is interesting, Ted prayed in his prayer. He mentioned a, a bunch of things that happened this week. As elders, we were engaged in a bunch of those things. Funerals and injuries and cancer and, and relationships that are going through struggles. I mean, we, we saw the whole gamut this week. And it's hard and people's hearts are heavy when they come in. Pray for them. Pray for yourself and pray for those who are going through struggles God would meet them here and the word of God would pierce the heart. Four, pray for the preaching of the word before, during, and after the service. Oh, do I appreciate this. Heading to my 30th year, I sit there before we go and the butterflies still go in my stomach because I'm about ready to say, here's what the Bible says. It's a massive responsibility. 
And I I long the word of God to come shining through, not the words of Scott. I want the word of God to come and pierce our hearts. So pray for the preaching of the word. Pray for the accompany of the spirit to come with it. Pray that we would have effective preaching of the word of God, that the preachers who stand in this pulpit will not compromise. We live in a world of compromise. And it's encroaching in the church all the time. Pray that we would not compromise. We'd be faithful to the word of God. In season and out of season. Five, evaluate what you hear by the word of God. This is a very important command. Evaluate what you hear by the word of God. You can come here and say, well, I just like Scott. I believe everything he says. Look, I have sermons I need to destroy out there somewhere when I was young. (laughs) They're terrible. (laughs) And downright got some problems in them. We are always learning as preachers. We're always studying. We're we're studying God's perfect word and then saying, here's what it says. You should evaluate that. You should study your Bible and say, that's right. That's what the Bible says here. I hope when you're listening to preaching that your mind goes, hey, I know a verse that goes with that. Sometimes I'll drag you all over and share lots of verses to, uh, to reteach that same truth by the scripture. But I hope that your mind's going, I know a verse. I know what he's talking about. That's teen somewhere else. So evaluate the scriptures. Evaluate the word of God. Evaluate the preaching. Not, well, I don't like the way he said this, but is it true? Is the word of God truth? Don't be just one who just hears. You know why? Because one day you may sit and there is false teaching going on. And you go, well, it didn't sound wrong to me. Evaluate the word of God. Do you know when something is said that's false, do you hear it and go, Whoa, 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 hold on, my little red flag. Evaluate the word of God when you hear it. Um, six, humbly receive the truth proclaimed as God speaking to you and not just a human speaker. Say, Lord, speak to me today. And we're not talking, <laughs> I preached on this the last couple of weeks, that he's gonna give you some new revelation. But you're saying, God, speak to me. Let the word of God come out and jump on me and if it needs to kick me around a little bit, let it. It needs to strengthen my marriage or, or my attitude or whatever it may be, be. Let the word of God speak to you. Pray that God would come and meet you here and speak with you. We don't want to come to church on Sunday and walk out the same as we came in. That would be a waste of time, wouldn't it? We could have stayed home and watched a good game or something. You want to come in and, and you want to be more grown into the image of Christ Every time you are gathered, every time you open the word, whether corporately or privately. Number seven, think about the sermon. Mull it over. Think of ways to apply it to your daily life. Do you mull over the sermon? Dads, moms, this is a great opportunity. Go home, go to lunch. Hey, your older children should be starting to filter into here as they move out of the children's ministry or speaking about what happened in their classes. This is very important to mull over the truth of the word of God. Do not let it go. Um, the, the psalmist uses it in the word meditate. The Hebrew word meditate, we get the word to ruminate. And he says, blessed is the man that meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. And, and it's not hard. I, I, maybe not everybody is a cattle guy in here, but they have four stomachs. And the reason they have that is because when they chew up grass, they're able to work it through chambers and back up again and re-get more nutrients out of it and back through it goes again. And that's the idea of the word of God. Be one who thinks about the sermon after it's done. Have a discussion on it on the way home uh, in the car and say, hey, what did you think? How can we apply this as a family, as individuals to our daily lives? Eight, talk about the sermon with others after the service. Discuss truths with your families. Use the outline as a basis for the discussion. So afterwards, this is a little bit redundant here, but, but this one, I wanted to put this in here because one of the things that we do in our home groups is we discuss the sermons in most cases. We try to do those. And the reason is, is because Scott doesn't have the corner on this truth. In fact, one of the things I enjoy so much is usually after services, somebody will come up and say, hey, when you hit that text, here's another text I thought of, or or, man, this truth really rang into me, and I'm going, I said that thing all week long, and I didn't get that. And I appreciate your thoughts back to me. 
And when you get in a group, say a group at Bible study together, a home group together, a community group, and you're there and you're mauling it over together, oh, what truths come out of that? I've heard of great conversations from the messages before. Number nine, read ahead each week when you know the text. We're, we're, we're in a series this summer um, doing series on the scriptures and on Christ, but we'll return to a book uh, and we'll be preaching through a book that is our custom here to teach expositionally through books. Um, and so most of the time you know where I'm going. I preached through the book of John for what, three and a half years. You pretty much knew where I was. Um, read ahead, see what it is. Go, wow, hey, he, Scott's gonna be teaching on this or, or whatever the next text is and enjoy it ahead. And then lastly, number 10, seek to obey what you hear. Pray for the grace of God to be a doer, by the grace of God to be a doer of the word. You know, you know this, Jesus said him himself and James repeated the command, said, do not be merely a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. Boy, that's a big difference, isn't it, when you think about it? Everybody can hear. Everybody can hear. Everybody can say, oh, that was good. But a doer of the word of God, one who commits to that process to live out this truth. I want to be a doer of the word. Tell the Lord you want to do that. Tell him you want to obey. Ask him to help you be that dad, that husband, that wife, that mom, that child that God's word speaks to in those areas. And I pray, I I know, and I pray that God will continue to strengthen us as a church on those issues. So those are some just practical things that were going through my head this week um, that I wanted to share with you as you come into sermon Sunday after Sunday and you're consistently being uh, taught from the word of God. Now, today's sermon that I've titled is called Sola Scriptoria. It's not a new title. It's not something I made up. There are the, what we call the five solaces of the scriptures. They came out of the Reformation. And they're very important to us because they're truths that are brought right out of the scriptures. They're central truths. But we have a lot of these truths that we hang on to. I brought a book out of my library, one that's of many I have, um, that are what we call systematic theologies. They take the main, particularly 10 main doctrines that the Bible teaches us and that we are commanded to teach to the church. Now, it, this one is entitled, has a very interesting title to it. It was written by J.T. Shedd, written in the 1800s. And he wrote it in many, many, many years of ministering and preaching and theologically thinking, wrote this document. I really enjoy Shedd's writing on a lot of things. But it has an interesting title. Can you see that title? Those are close, read it. Dogmatic Theology. Now, what goes through your mind when you hear dogmatic? I, I'm really interested in this. Narrow? Um, maybe you get a little bit offended by it. A little bit of offense kind of came into your mind when you thought about that. Dogmatic. Well, well, let me try to help your thinking just a little bit here as you go through that. Is there things that we should be dogmatic about? And what does the word dogmatic mean? Well, let me be real practical here. You ever had your dog and he has a bone and he's not gonna give it to you? (laughs) There are certain things we as a church have a bone in our mouth and we are not giving up. We are not giving up on the sufficiency of God's word. We are not giving up on Christ alone. That he is the only way to the Father. No man comes to the Father but by him. We are not giving up the fact that it is Christ's works, not man's works that justify us. See, these are dogmatic theologies. Now, we don't use that word as much anymore because we live in a very politically correct world. So if you take a hard stand, you got got a paper writing against you or something's happening. But really, in a church, we should be. Even this morning, just in our scripture writing, we read a couple of verses, and Paul said this to Timothy, prescribe and teach these things. There are truths in the word of God that God wants us to put out to the congregation consistently and constantly to help hold us where God wants us to be. And that's somewhat difficult today in today's world. And, and you're, you are, you're called heavy-handed or you're, you're called extreme. Or, uh, there's lots of things that come that way. We're seeing that right now in the marriage debate. What is marriage? Does God actually have something to say of marriage? And who are we going to hold to, the world or what the word says? That's just one issue of many that we learn to say, okay, what does God have to say? 
So as we talk about sola scriptoria, we believe that the scriptures alone hold the truth. Now, it didn't come alone. The scriptures didn't come, uh, that doctrine didn't come by itself. It actually came with five major solas. Now, just a hair of a little bit of background, these five solas were developed in a response by Martin Luther, I think in about 1517. Um, and there was a difficulty with the Roman Catholic Church. They were moving away. I'm going to share these solas here in a minute. They were moving away from these central beliefs that the church had always held to. And there was a perversion to those truths. And so God raised up men like Martin Luther, and he wrote, um, as you remember, a 95 thesis, and he nailed it on Wittenberg's door. And the solaces, particularly these five solaces, are kind of the sum of what that was about. And so they go as this way. They're called sola scriptoria, scripture alone. Sola gratia, by grace alone. Sola fide, by faith alone. Sola Christas, meaning by Christ alone. And then sola de gloria, to God alone be the glory. Now, their response was because of these things. Number one, that the Roman Catholic Church, very dominant by um, its leadership and its indulgements and all the things that it was moving, was moving into a false doctrine, they had laid a foundation that was contrary to the belief of the Bible. So these men, God rose these men up for this. One, they started practicing, um, they, they believed that, yes, the scriptures were of God, but also the sacred traditions that they had written down um, added to the scriptures, and this mastorial and pope teaching were just as inspired as the scripture. What? Well, the reformers came along and they said, no, our foundation is sola scriptura. It is not based on traditions of man, what they add to scripture. We believe this is our authority. And they stood on that and they said, no, we believe in scripture, so, uh, sola scriptura. We believe in the scriptures alone, we do not add to that. Well, the next issue that quickly came up is that the church had taught that we were saved through a combination of God's grace, the merits that we accumulated through penance and good works, and a superiority of merits that the saints before us had accomplished. So grace was brought to you by lots of things, not only Christ, but all by your own works and all these areas that have come by, by other saints and prayers and and things, and so the reformers rose up and said, no, sola gratia, sola gratia. We are saved by grace alone. Not by any works of man, not by those who went before us. If that was true, parents could save their children. So they stood on these principles. The next one that they tackled was that the church had been teaching that justification by faith and the works that were produced, which together is the righteousness that God infuses into man, and that through faith bring this about. So they taught that, yes, the righteousness of Christ, but the righteousness of man combines those, and he infuses that into a person, and thus they are justified. Hmm. That teaches works. Christ works is what we need <laughs> my works can't save me jesus is very clear on that in his own teaching in, in all of the scriptures so the reformers came back and they said no we are justified by faith alone by faith alone that's what the book of romans is about the book of galatians is about it, it is not what we add our faith is in now now it isn't now be careful here because you can think well it's my faith no no we are justified by our faith in Christ that what he did was enough. It was enough. I don't need to add to it. And, and so this is a great solace. Lord, your work is enough for us. The next one that became a problem within the church was that they taught that we are saved by merits of Christ and saints and we approach God through Christ, the saints, Mary, and who all pray and intercede for us. Well, the reformers said, no, we are saved by the merits of Christ alone. So you'll see they interact, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, they interact with one another. And what it's doing is saying, we are not rescued in any way other than the Lord Jesus Christ, because he himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father 
it it impacted the apostles so much that they said there is no salvation in in no one else than than in Jesus Christ. It's him, him alone. And that had been moved. And what would happen is salvation was granted because of indulgences, granted because of your family, granted before what you could do and how righteous you were. They would actually say you're saved because of these things. But the reformers stood and they said, no, this is not what the Bible teaches. One more, the, the Catholic Church um, adhered to what Martin Luther called a theology of glory. It was in direct opposition to the theology of the cross in, in which they said that the glory of a sinner's salvation could be attributed partly to Jesus, but partly to Mary and partly to the saints and partly to the sin, sinner himself. He could get glory by his belief. And Luther and others said, no, no. Glory belongs to God alone. When we take credit for our salvation, we rob him of his glory. And they said, sola de gloria. By God's glory alone, we believe. By God's glory alone, the church is assembled and gathered. And the reformers stood, stood and it cost many of them their lives. You say, well, what does this have to do with today? Don't we believe all these things? Well, I, I, I think we do. We, we believe that here at Grace. We teach these truths right out of the scriptures on a regular basis. But think about what's happening worldwide to the church today. Today, there is a great attack on the scriptures. Well, God's giving me new revelation. We have a word of faith movement that is very destructive to the scriptures and what we believe. God's speaking now up and above, beyond the Bible, and this guy over here has it. There's a problem. Because if that guy has a word from God, that gal probably has one, and you may have one, and and so, well, maybe this isn't all that we need. See, the church has to return to biblical principles on a regular basis to help us go, no, God is not speaking up and above his finished canon, his finished product. And so we have to return to these things. Think about just um, grace alone and faith alone and Christ alone. And this is nothing new to the Christian church from the last 2,000 years. Man has always thought that, well, God will accept me because I'm a good person. And we have to deal with this all the time. People come to the church, they're hearing the gospel for the first time, and they're going, I'm not a sinner. Maybe that guy over there is. God's going God's to let me in. He's a good God. He's a nice God. He'll let me in. And so constantly, the doctrine of salvation is constantly at threat all the time. So it's good to remind ourselves, no, nobody gets in on our own merits. We need the grace that God provides, the faith he gives us as we're dead in our sins to believe. And we need it all accomplished by Jesus Christ alone for his glory alone, and so that he receives everything he's due. So this is what we call the solaces. Now, I wanna just focus our, our last time, last bit of time here just on the scripture, sola scriptoria, and let me just give you some, some thoughts here. When we say script, sola scriptoria, we mean that the scripture is our supreme authority in all spiritual matters. So whether that's uh, how the church functions, how we function as moms and dads, as husbands and wives, um, for teaching, instruction, for doctrine, for reproof. We believe that the scriptures are the supreme authority in all that matters. And so on a Sunday, you will hear, yeah, as long as I have something to say, you're going to have a man standing here preaching from a text, from the word of God, the truth of the scriptures. So sola scriptoria simply means that all truth necessary for salvation and for spiritual life is taught either explicitly or implicitly in the scriptures. And so what do you mean by that? Well, let's take marriage. Husbands, love your wife. It's Christ loves the church. That's pretty explicit, right? Wives, submit to your husbands as a picture of the church. I mean, we have those things that are just right there. Children, obey your parents. I mean, the way salvation, very explicit. The Bible is very explicit. But there are things that are implicit, meaning they, they, we study a, a lot of scripture to understand how we are to live this life in a changing culture. 
We look at all of the Bible to realize what it means to be a godly person, the means to follow the master, to walk after the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Bible addresses everything we need, either explicitly or implicitly. Now, I say that because you say, well, does the Bible say anything about DNA? <laughs> well, it kind of does. God created man and, and woman in his image, and, and we, we see that. But we probably don't have a passage on DNA. We probably don't have a passage on rocket science. How to build a rocket and send it to the moon. But we do have a passage on who created the moon, who hung it, who holds it in its orbit, and who brings us to a point of worship and glory that that thing can just hang out there every day. So, so the Bible deals with these things. We believe it to be true and to help us in an explicit and an implicit way. And that's what we studied last week. Remember we said the scripture in first Peter, second Peter chapter one, verse 19 is more sure. We stand on it. We, we see it as standing above all other truth with authority and certainty. And you have to believe this. Otherwise, you will fade away in the faith in the following of the Lord Jesus Christ. I promise you, you'll fade away. And your own thoughts will drag you away from truth. Believe that the Bible is more sure. It's more sure than even my greatest experience. And that was so fun preaching that passage last week of Peter saying, look, we're on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was incredible. He was like the sun when we saw him. Then he says, but we have something more sure. The Bible. Hold true the truth of the word of God. So therefore, the scripture is the highest and supreme authority um, and only any matter that, that comes to us as human beings, we can find authority in the scriptures to deal with it. That's why we counsel the way we do. We come into our offices and need counsel for marriage, for life, for decisions. We're gonna take you to the word of God because we believe it holds everything we need for life and godliness. Furthermore, um, we are forbidden by the scriptures to add or take away to it. And that's a big issue today. There are certain religions, they'll come knocking on your door or you'll talk to them and they'll say, well, yeah, the Bible's good, but we have another book to go with it. Uh-oh. There are some real clear passages on that I'm gonna show you just in a minute here. Do not, do not add or take away or the plagues that are in this book will be applied to you. That is a warning across the bow of your boat. Do not add to this. And why would the Bible say that? In fact, it's the last concluding words of the scriptures. Because God's words have to be perfect. And if you don't believe that God's words are perfect, there is no salvation for you. So it's important. We It's important that we believe that our Bibles are true and we hold to them. And to add to them is to add a lay person, a person that isn't God, to, to bring truth that's stronger than God. And in fact, God himself says in Matthew 23, 4, that man cannot carry this burden. He cannot carry that burden. So, scripture is therefore the perfect and only standard of scriptural truth, or spiritual truth, revealing infallibility, and really that it's infallible, it doesn't have any errors, it doesn't fall short, and we as believers must believe it in order to be saved, in order to bring glory through our lives to our God and Savior. Let me read you one thing just out of the Westminster Confession. Um, after the Reformation, um, they, wrote, they sat down and wrote many documents. And one of them was a Westminster's Confession of Faith. And this is the portion on scriptures found, written in 1646. And see if it holds true today. And then I'm gonna read you our doctrinal statement that we've been working on and see if it lines up with it. And I promise you it does. And what's so fun about studying the scriptures is I'm teaching the exact same thing the Apostle Paul taught. Um, the early church fathers. What a, what a glory that is. Here's what Westminster said. He said, the whole counsel of God, that's this, 66 books, concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life, is either expressly set down in scripture or by good and necessary consequences made, may be deducted from the scriptures. He's saying implicit or, or explicit. Unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the spirit or traditions of men. That was what they said in the 1600s. And we say a very, very similar thing. Now take your bulletin and look on the back of that. You'll see uh, our latest statement of faith. We've, we're trying right now 
to rewrite our statement of faith and strengthen it a little bit for many reasons. We just, we want a little stronger doctrinal statement, a little more scripture in it. Um, we didn't put the scriptures with it because we ran out of room on there, but if you go online, you'll see the scriptures that come with this. Um, but it's important to us that, to go back and look at this every once in a while to say, okay, if somebody comes to our website, comes to our church, wants to see our doctrinal statement, what do we say about our belief in the scriptures? Well, number one, we said this. Right off the bat, we believe that the sole and final authority for the church is the Bible, which includes all 66 books of the Old Testament and New Testament. Now, this statement is a statement of finality. We will never add to these 66 books. We believe that this is the books God gave us to know him, to be known, for him to be known by us. Now, I've had the, the great pleasure of translating many other books that some other faiths have put in and said they were part of the Bible. I translated the Didier, I've translated the Maccabees, I've translated many of those as I learned uh, Greek and Hebrew. Now, what's, what's interesting is you say, well, how did they come to the 66 books? Why 66? Why these? What's fascinating is when you read those men who gathered in these great councils, they say this, we merely recognized the books that were inspired, but we did not put them together, God did. And so as you read the 66 books, and then you read something like the Didache, or Book of Thomas, or Jubilee, or some of these other books, it does not take you long to realize, whoa, there's some good stuff in there, but wow, there's some heretical stuff in there. You will very quickly see when you study those that faith of man and works of man is part of your salvation in some of those books. It comes clearly shining out. And the men who were in that councils um, in the early church to recognize which were inspired by God and which were not quickly saw that and said, oh, that's not, that's not, that's not God's work. And so they gathered these books that, that collectively spoke the word of God. They didn't, they didn't, um, uh, default each other. They, they actually enhanced each other. They saw that these 66 books put that together. So it's an important statement that we look at. Let me show you one text in 2 Peter chapter 3. It's a fascinating text that Peter in this text is saying that Paul's letters written to you are of God. And there's a certain, there's a certain reading of them that you see, and it's not always easy, but you recognize it, and Peter's recognizing that Paul's letters, and this is back before they knew they were probably even writing the scriptures fully, had a full understanding of what they were doing. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. We'll start there. And there's lots of other scriptures to back this first statement up, but I want to use this one for the sake of time. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him. That's what we just talked about. Be found in Christ, not in your own works, in peace, spotless and blameless. And the only way you can be spotless and blameless is be found in Christ, not in your works. Verse 15, here's what I'm after. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. That's a fascinating little tax here. Peter is saying, he's being inspired to write this. He's saying, regard the words of Paul, the wisdom that he has, they've been given to him, that's inspiration, they've been given to him, and he wrote it to you. Verse 16, as also in all of his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some hard things to understand. The Bible has some difficult areas you've got to work through and study harder on. Which the untaught, unstable distort. So people would take the writings of Paul and distort them. As they do with the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. Now, what a beautiful text to remind you that Peter saw that what Paul was writing, and Paul wrote 13 epistles that we know. He possibly could have wrote Hebrews. Um, that would be 14. He says, look, read those letters as God wrote through him to you. They recognize the inspiration of God, that he was writing certain letters, and certain letters were given. Now, what's fascinating is Paul wrote at least four letters to the Corinthian church, two are inspired, two are not. Thank God we've never found the other two. But those letters are the inspired ones, and they recognize that this was God in them. 
All right, next statement. We believe, look on the back of your bulletin, that every word of the original autographs is God-breathed. Therefore, the scriptures are verbally inspired, inerrant, infallible, and totally sufficient, trustworthy for doctrine and instruction. Now, the reason we wrote original autographs is very important. There's always a group that says, my translation is God's word, yours isn't. (laughs) Now, these are translations, and we have to make sure you understand that. And let me be clear, there are good translations and great translations, and there's some very poor translations that are out there. They're not word by word. They're not, they're not sticking to the original text. They, they feel as though they need to correct some things. And, and it's very easy, if you know the original languages, you look at their, you look at their translation and you go, well, that's not even close. There are, but there are many great translations of it. But we have to remember, there are translations, the original the original autographs were what God inspired. Then they took those original autographs, they made many copies, working from the center letter out. They would write the center letter, write the right one, the left one, the right one, the left one, the right one, the left one, and they'd do that all the way through, every line, seven guys doing it, all seven would check each other's work before they actually moved to the next line to make sure that your Bibles are accurate. So we recognize that God inspired those and the reason is because there are some movements that came along that said, "Well, the version, this version, these men were inspired when they translated it." I think that's very, very dangerous um, to say that. So we believe that we have good translations, accurate translations of the Word of God. But we also put in over here a very strong statement. Therefore, the Scriptures are verbally inspired. God moved holy men along. We saw that last week in Second Peter chapter one, verse twenty and twenty-one. God moved them. He verbally spoke the word of God through these men. He was inspired. God breathed. He produced this to men. They're inerrant, meaning the Bible do not have errors in them. There are people who have dedicated their lives to trying to find errors. My good friend Steve Fernandez, he said when he when he went to destroy the Bible, he set out to show his brother that he was believing some stupid, antiquated book and that it had nothing to do with this life. He got saved before he got through, I think, Mark. Another good friend of mine said he started in Genesis to cut out all the creation stuff because there's no way God did all this. It had to evolve and all that. He got saved before he finished the book of Genesis. See, man has always tried to destroy God's word, but it is infallible. It doesn't fall. It stands. It's without error. It, it has the ability, God has given us a book that's sufficient and trustworthy for doctrine, for dogma. We stand on these truths. We believe this to be true as a church, and we hold to that. Let me show you just a couple of verses. Go to Isaiah. I want to show you some Old Testament passages because sometimes we support in the New Testament, and, but it's all through the scriptures. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verse six through eight. These are fascinating texts. Um, the topic and idea that Isaiah has been again to speak here. He's, he's speaking of the coming Messiah. Uh, these are very messianic passages as he's moving, but he's, he's securing what he's saying through the word of God. And he says in verse six, a voice says, call out. He's telling, he's writing what God is saying to him. And then he answered, what shall I call out? And this is what he calls out. All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. Well, that's kind of nice flesh, that's people, right? We're like grass and flowers. We're pretty and soft and blow in the wind. Verse seven, the grass withers and the flower fades. (laughs) Oh, shouldn't put too much hope in that. (laughs) These guys are freezing their bodies and, you know, there's so much put into flesh. They spend billions of dollars on, on trying to make yourself look good. And the Bible says, well, guess what? You're gonna wither and you're gonna fade away. Look at, look at verse seven. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely people are grass. The grass withers, verse eight, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. 
Isaiah's saying, you're listening, because remember, they're going, this guy's an idiot. He's telling them things are going to happen in 150 years as though they happen today. Because God told him exactly what's going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar's going to come. He's going to destroy you, knock down your walls. He's going to take you away. You're going to be eating your children. I mean, he goes very graphic of what's going to happen. And they're going, this guy is on crack. We don't believe him. So he says, you're like grass, man. But you don't know you're like grass. You think you're going to be forever. There's only one thing that stands forever, and that's the word of God, and that's what I'm telling you. And all this is being recorded for them. Look at Isaiah 55, another passage. You're the story you're probably really familiar with. Verse 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Well, that's pretty true. Now, I think as believers that our thoughts should be being more and more like God as we go along. Because I think that's what holiness is, loving what God loves, hating what God hates. And I think we should be, but I think there's also always a component to this that his thoughts are not my thoughts. I, I look at Revelation and Daniel and uh, Zechariah and, uh, and look at some of those end time passages and it's hard to get my mind around how, what that's all going to look like. I, I'm limited in my thoughts. I'm limited in my ways. But God is not limited. And so his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our thoughts. Verse 9. Now he gives an illustration that we can get our minds around. He says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. Well, yeah, that's true, right? Anybody want to run to the moon after church? That's just the first heavens, right? We have the air and then... Uh, and then space, and then the heavens of God, right? Well, so that thought's true. Now he gives us a little more to help us understand the difference of God's thoughts and ours. Verse 10, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, I can see that, right? We don't get a lot of snow here, but we get rain. And do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnace seed to the sower and the bread to the eater, so we got that, right? We see rain comes, grows stuff, they make bread, we eat um, vegetables and all that stuff. So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matters for which it was sent. I love that verse. See, it's a promise that God's word isn't gonna complete what it promised to do. That's why we call it sufficient. It's sufficient. God sent his word to us. Just think in salvation alone. God sent the teaching that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no way to get to the Father except through him. Did that not prove to be true in your life? That's the word of God. And it didn't come back and say, well, I didn't accomplish. No, it sent. It was sent there, and it accomplished, and it grew a life that loves the Lord. Now, Third statement, I gotta get moving here. We believe the scriptures are sufficient. We're gonna go a little farther with this sufficient and trustworthy type of thinking here. We believe the scriptures are sufficient and with guiding efforts of the Holy Spirit because we need him to come along, the word of God, to burn it in and impress it upon our hearts for us to understand it, are entirely adequate for every spiritual, every spiritual emotional need and are infinitely superior to all human understanding and wisdom. Now, this is a very important little phrase here, and you go, well, why did you put this in here? Well, not too many years back, the church began to believe, church greater, you know, I'm talking universal church, began to say, well, the Bible's good for certain things, but it can't meet the emotional needs of man. He's a complex creature. He's got a lot of emotional issues and problems. The Bible can't help him with that. So they tried to marry psychology in the Bible. Man's wisdom with God's wisdom and try to bring about things. Let me tell you, it has failed miserably. And we believe that the word of God is sufficient for our emotional struggles, our spiritual struggles, our physical struggles. It aids us in all those things. Now, is it not important to understand man? Well, certainly, as you study the Bible, you'll have a very good understanding of man. You'll understand it right from the beginning. 
And we'll understand those things. But we, what we're trying to say here is that we believe that the scriptures are enough. You don't have to run to the world to solve your problems. Abandon the word of God because you don't understand what my background was like, my childhood was like. The word of God can't help me. I'm gonna go over to this man so he can help me. Oh, be careful. Oh, be careful to say that God, the almighty one, doesn't have words for your struggles. He has given us the word. He's given us the word to help us understand how to live in difficult issues. And I don't want in any way frustrate anybody in here and say that, oh, you just don't think my problems are, you know, you don't understand my problems or you don't care about me. Oh, I absolutely care about you. And if you walk into my office, the best thing I can do is lovingly open my Bible and say, let me tell you what God says. And he will help you. And I have watched people with the most difficult emotional problems you've ever seen. Watch God heal them, change their lives, their marriages, their understanding of their past, because God's word is sufficient for those things. Second Peter chapter one, three and four says this, that we can have everything we need in life and godliness through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this is how you get it. Everything, then we have, if, we don't, if we don't believe this, then we have to say God's lying to us. No, he's not lying to us. Everything you need for life and godliness. I believe he's talking about salvation and everything in this life. Last statement, we believe in the clarity of scripture. I think that's important. You say, well, why did you put clarity in there? Because for a long time, the church taught that, well, you gotta have these guys that are these upper level guys. They wear some funny hats and some robes and some different stuff, and, or they're super educated, and they have to tell you what it means. That's not true. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can open your Bible and read what God says to you. It's clear. Now, there's some more difficult things in there. Yeah, there's some tough things you've got to work through. I still patches and go, I don't know what that says. I've got to work on that one. But the percentage of the Bible is clear. It says, here's what I want you to know. And, and I think if you say, God, will you help me understand the Bible? I'm going to read it for the first time consistently. If you say, Lord, will you help me understand this? I promise he will. Don't be afraid of the Bible. Don't be afraid to, to get in. You may get stuck. Write something down. Come talk to one of us. Find somebody you think knows the Bible. Say, hey, I'm stuck on this passage. I have no idea what this means. No help you. So it's clear. It's relevant to the world today. Marriage was created in the garden in Genesis chapter 2. I think Genesis 2 needs to be preached constantly from our pulpits today. Because there's a full-out, full-out attack, not just against marriage, but think about it, it's against God. It's against God. It's against what God said. It is serious. And, and that doesn't mean we're hostile or mean to people who are confused and in sin. No, absolutely not. We speak the truth in love. But we must speak the truth. Don't be a person that lets somebody go to hell. Let them live in a, a, a deprived way when you know what God has to say. That's not love. And we may go to prison for it someday. I, I promise you, time that'll happen. We'll just have a prison ministry. But don't, don't say the Bible doesn't have to speak to this. Do it in a loving way, knowing that you didn't deserve what you have. Broken over the fact that God saved this wretch and share the message that way with somebody else. We said that it's consistent within itself. And it's properly interpreted in a literal, grammatical, historical way. I've got to go quick here. Meaning, the Bible itself can be interpreted. We, that's, why when we, that's why I've taken you several texts already today. Because if I'm going to study a text, say I'm going to study Isaiah 55, I think I can prove Isaiah 53, 50, excuse me, 55 through about 10 different texts in the New Testament alone. I think I can prove that. Because it's consistent within itself. And notice this little statement, and I want to explain this very quickly, literal, grammatical, historical sense. What do you mean by that, Scott? I know that's a little kind of seminary sounding, but it is important. Meaning we read the Bible literally, opposed to allegorically. 
It's the difference between what we call exegesis, that we take what is in the text and we bring it out and we, and we explain it, versus eisegesis is reading into it what we want read into it. We believe the Bible is literal. Read it literal. Marriage is between a man and a woman. I made them in my image, male and female. Take that literally. I'm sending my son to die for sinners. He is going to come down and live on this earth. He's not going to come and invade spiritually in some way and leave when the crucifixion comes. No, the Bible teaches he literally came here. He was born of a virgin. The Holy Spirit placed him in the womb of Mary. He lived a sinless life for 33 years so he could hang on that cross and be judged. We believe that literally. We don't think it's an angel. We don't think it's somebody else that came along and, and, and invaded him and then left. Literally interpret the Bible. Grammatically, grammar is what helps us get the context right. God wrote it so you and I can read it. He wrote it in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Mostly Hebrew and Greek, a little bit Aramaic. Now, because it's a language, you and I can study it. Because it's a language, we can translate it from Greek and bring it into English so you and I can read it. Now, there's rules to grammar, isn't there? If you're an English teacher and I show up and say, well, I don't believe in your rules, so here's my paper. F. <laughs> there are rules to grammar. And the reason why is there's rules so that you know what I'm trying to say. Right? And that's why we study the Bible. There are subjects and verbs and direct objects. There's a main context that flows through the passage. Grammatically, we're, we're going to look at this text grammatically so that we can't just say, well, what do you think, Bruce? You, what do you think? And, and, and Christian, what do you think? It's just whatever you guys think it is and whatever I think it is. Wow, that's pretty dangerous. What does it say? What does it mean? See, that's important for us to say. We believe that there's a grammatical way of studying the scriptures. Understand it. Get to the context. In this last one, historical, I've already mentioned this. We are teaching the same truths the apostles taught. Augustine, one of the early church fathers. I'm teaching the same thing he was teaching 1,800 years ago. I didn't have to come up with something new. Well, Augustine just didn't have this figured out and... You know, the church fathers, oh, we're, we're, you know, hey, you know who we are. We're, we're in the 21st century here, you know. We have, we have better ways of understanding this. No, we believe in a historical document. We're teaching the same thing. And you think about this. When you sit down and teach your kids the Bible, you're teaching the same thing. The disciples who became the apostles that talked. That, that, am I just losing it or is that pretty cool? I mean, I think that's really cool. Because everything in a man's world just changes all the time. It just change, change, change going. But we, you and I, dads, moms, grandpas and grandmas, we get to teach the word of God just like the apostles taught it. We don't believe in a changing book. And so we wrote that in here. Then finally we said that scripture is complete. Revelation of God, nothing shall be added or taken away. And we have lots of passages. Deuteronomy 4 is a great passage. It says, look, you don't want to change this. Revelation says he's going to bring the plagues of the book on you if you try to. I warn all those people that come to my door and want to hand me something to come alongside this thing and go, do you know what the Bible says about what you just did? You need to be very careful. Let me show you. You do not want to add to God's word. And you certainly don't want to take Jesus and not make him God. And so we love them. So here's it. Let me close with one more text. Go to Luke chapter 16 and we'll close with this text. And then I think Ron's got a song for us and we'll be done. You can see why I need a whole summer for the series on the scriptures, because there's so much here. Um, but this, you know, this story is a parable, they say. I think it's a real thing that happened, because it's one of the only parables Jesus actually mentions a man's name in a parable. So I think this is just God, our Lord, sovereign, knowing what happened here. You remember this story, the rich man of Lazarus? Now, there was a rich man, and, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linens and joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores. Now, there's an understanding here that one knows God and one doesn't. It's read right into the text. You understand this. It's, it's an understanding here that happens. This is not just because he's poor, he goes to heaven, and a rich man doesn't. 
So there's a theological understanding that goes into this text. Verse 21. And longing to be fed with the crumbs that were falling from the rich man's table, besides even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. There was his first aid. 22. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels of Abraham's bosom. I remember, um, uh, was it J. Vernon McGee said, I expect angels to show up when I die. And the rich man also died and was buried. No angels. Verse 23, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being tormented, saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. Everybody see? There's a word picture being developed here, right? Pretty clear. Verse 25, but Abraham said, child, Remember that during your life you received good things and likewise Lazarus bad things. Now know he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over here to you will not be able and that none may cross from here to or from there to us. Verse 27. And he said, then I beg you, here's the rich man, I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so they will not also come to this place of torment. I think that's somewhat noble. You're in hell, and you go, I don't want my five brothers coming here. I, I, when This passage is a great passage because the grave speaks, doesn't it? In a sense. Now notice, what verse 29 says. This is very important to our study this morning. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Wow. Abraham says, they got God's word. They got God's word. God's word can solve their spiritual problem, the death that awaits them, the agony that awaits them. God's word can solve them. Let them hear that. Verse 30, but he said, no. Hmm, I hear that a lot today. Bible's not enough. And why isn't it enough? Look what he says. Father Abraham, someone, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Did that happen? Did somebody come from the dead? His initials are J.C., why doesn't the entire world bow the knee to Jesus Christ right now? Why aren't there millions and millions of Christians just flooded into our churches because they can't stand it because they want to know Jesus Christ because he came back from the dead? Because they don't believe the Bible. They don't believe God. And listen to the last verse here. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you hold God's word. It changes people's lives. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't run from it. Put yourself under it. Listen to it. Have it preached to you. Read it personally. Ask questions. This is what God has given to us. And this is why we would say this is dogmatic. We hold to this. We use a different term. We would say this is very, very important to us. That we don't offend people. But we, we're more concerned that we get this right. So, brothers and sisters, the first statement of faith on our statement of faith at Grace Bible Church is the word of God. So everything we do Though we make our mistakes, we are working hard to try to do it from the Bible. That's our goal, working at that. And for you, we should all join together to know the Bible more, to live our lives accustomed to what it has to say. Father, we thank you for our time in the word today. We thank you for this just short series, Lord. We could, we could teach on your word till you return, Lord. It is beautiful to us. It is, it is this finished, complete manual uh, map. Uh, Lord, we could give it a lot of adjectives of what we look at this and, 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 and it is what we need, Lord, for life and godliness. Father, forgive us. We are a very um, busy people. We engage in so much, Lord. We live in a very sinful life and we ourselves 
live sinfully at times, Lord. And that changes our view of the Bible sometimes because we're selfish and fleshly, Lord. So Father, forgive us when we don't do that. And we would pray that you would bring us quickly back around to trusting the word of God, believing the word of God, standing upon it, Lord. Father, I pray for those in the room that may not know Jesus Christ as their personal savior. Lord, that's important that they come to the word of God and see that they, like us, are sinners, hell-bound. If it wasn't for the Lord Jesus Christ coming and invading their life with him, his self, and what he accomplished for them, Lord. So I pray for those in this room that may not know Jesus, Lord, that today would be the day that they would surrender their life to the Lord Jesus Christ and put their faith in him for eternity. And Lord, for those of us that do know Jesus, May we be his followers. And as we follow him, we're led right to the scriptures. He quoted the scriptures over and over and over. And he himself said, O foolish ones, slow to believe all that Moses and the prophets have written. Lord, let us believe all that the Bible has written for us, Lord. Help us as a church, help us as individuals to put our faith in Jesus Christ through the word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. 